are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We welcome your calls all show long. We got Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com. Christian, how's it going? It's going good. I'm sure we might get some interesting calls after yesterday's game and everything that went down, but I'm excited to talk about it. Lance, how are you? I'm doing good, Noah. How about you, man? I'm doing really well. I know you've got an announcement to make, so I'm going to give you the floor. Well, to uh, everybody out there listening, this will be my uh, final episode of On the Line Now. We'll come back on uh, to do interviews and things like that. I absolutely uh, would love to to continue to uh, come back on and just talk sports, but uh, this will be my final full episode. It's been a fantastic year of doing the show. I remember back in February, uh, I came on in my first episode. I kind of said something controversial at the beginning saying, you know, I think Sean White was a more efficient passer than Bo Nix at the time, and uh, people didn't take too kindly to that, and since then, it's just been kind of a roller coaster talking about sports, getting to go through this Auburn football season has been really really fun and now getting to talk a little Auburn basketball has been fantastic as well getting to go to media days with you Noah getting to experience all the different cool things and a lot of it has to do with the fact that I was able to come on and do this show so I really appreciate my time here it's been a lot of fun uh, and absolutely loved every single second of it. Where can people keep up with you moving forward? They can follow me on Twitter at Daw Pound. I do uh, I do a, quite a few things. I write for USA Today, uh, the Auburn Wire, uh, auburnwire.usatoday.com. You can also follow my show on Twitter at LockedOnUK. Going to be talking Wildcats basketball over there. And, yeah, those are the two places that you can find me. And if, and I, if I, uh, happen to have any other endeavors, I'm sure I'm going to talk about it on my Twitter. Well, man, I'm proud of you. It's been a great time doing the show with you since May. I think it's been what it's how long it's been here. Right. I I, I remember coming. Do you know what your show counter is at? How many? So I actually I I from I at one point like in late October I was at like one thirty ish I think and you I stopped, stopped counting oh. uh, because I I would always write it down on the show notes and then one day like I I forgot to do it and I just kind of lost track but I can go back and we we've got the podcast <laughs> so I can go back and count um, but I remember coming back on uh, I remember coming on in February and doing that and I was not like it wasn't official until May and that's when I started doing it every single day with you guys so it's it's, it's definitely definitely been a really fun ride and I appreciate you having me on man it's been absolutely fun it's been really really fun to. Uh, talk some Auburn football and I'm really proud of you to see all the things that you're going to be doing moving forward and I'll be definitely keeping up with you and he's not gone for good it's just he'll be back in a different in different ways like interviews and whatnot uh Kristen do you have a Merry Christmas I did yeah that just put like a damper mood on the whole show though I didn't know that until just now I'm actually really glad that I ended up coming for today's show so (laughs) I could be here 
I don't right. I don't want this to be like Sting where you were just like really sad at the end and you're just like you are now off the line. I was like, no. You're, you're, <laughs> you're getting that at the end. No, you you are going to get the Lance Dahl, you are off the line. Man, it's just going to I started that with Sting. It's kind of it, it's very poignant. <laughs> it's for, very, for for someone not coming back. I mean that that is a good uh that's a good way to end it's it. It's very sad, man. It's very sad. <laughs> I, I don't man, it, it You know I had lunch with Sting today. Oh, really? I did. Is he doing all right? He's doing well. I think he's listening right now. So, oh, for Sting, real? if you're out there or if you're listening in the future on the podcast, we salute you, man. Sting, I'm sorry. Good to see you, you, bud. I'm sorry you had to witness that bowl game yesterday, man. <laughs> all right, guys, let's get it started. 334-321-1390. We're taking your calls all show long. Of course, the Birmingham Bowl yesterday, Auburn loses 17-13 to to the Houston Cougars. I thought Auburn answered any questions about whether or not they wanted to be there. I thought they answered that yesterday with, yes, most definitely, they wanted to be there. They wanted to win. They just ran out of gas like they've done for the last five games or so. They just don't have the personnel to win football games like that against teams that are playing pretty well at this point in the year. Christian, takeaways from the Birmingham Bowl. Uh, It went about a it went exactly as I expected it to go, Yeah. to be completely honest with you. Um, well, I mean, I picked it that way. I said on Monday, quarterback play would be the deciding factor. Go figure. One quarterback had the game when he touchdown mm-hmm. drive. And I'll give, I'll give the defense a lot of credit because I was very concerned um, with no Zacoby McClain, no Roger McCreary. Um, Smoke Monday ends up getting tossed because of targeting. Simpson. Jalen Simpson gets tossed because of targeting. Marquise Burks was out, so there was a little bit of depth issues on the defensive line. Um so I'll give the defense a lot of credit. I thought they played a lot better than I expected, so I was wrong there, actually. Um, but at the end of the day, the Auburn offense didn't have what it takes. Um, I think T.J. Finley threw the ball 37 times, which is absurd when you're in a close game. I don't know how he ended up passing the ball so many times, um, especially when you had Tank Bigsby running effectively. Now, I will add to that with Tank. Um, in the red zone, there was a stat, and Justin Ferguson pointed it out to me, that I think he had like four red zone carries and the biggest red zone carry went for one yard. Like it was like negative one, zero, one, and zero. Like he did nothing in the red zone because they expected it. So when Houston expected the run, they stopped it. But outside of that, Tank Bigsby did a really good job running the ball and it didn't feel like Auburn fed him that much. I mean, he got 16 carries. He caught some passes. He had that big screen pass that he caught as well. I mean, he led the team in receiving. Really? He did. He led the team in catches and yards. I did not realize Five that. Yeah, I mean, that kind of flew yards. under the radar, but there was that drive towards the end of the second half where they were trying to get T.J. Finley settled in, and they started doing that with a lot of outlet passes out of the backfield to Tank, and Tank let him down the field. Of course, Auburn only came away with a field goal on one of those drives. That was what got it to 10-3 to going to halftime. But Tank quietly, like everybody's making a lot out of the 16 carries and that he probably should have gotten the ball more and typically when somebody says that tank bigsby should have been handed the ball a few more times i agree (laughs) but he did get 21 touches yesterday he got the football i felt like the offense was centered around him yesterday i just think they should have maybe not necessarily tank bigsby but i think they should have ran the ball more i mean jarquez got like five carries maybe make him get eight carries and tank get the ball with 19 carries and then TJ Finley throws the ball 31 times instead of 37, something like that. I think like the struggle with the offense, and it's something that you pointed out, Christian, is like making sure that you're trying to keep the defense honest, both 
throwing and running the football right, trying to make sure that they can't just hone in on one specific thing because Auburn was limited in a lot of different ways yesterday. They were limited offensively, and so I think the fact that I completely agree with you. I think Auburn should have run Tank Bigsby more, specifically late in that game when it was second and two, third and two, fourth and two after Bigsby had just picked up eight yards. I don't know, guys. Name, Name a better or a more disappointing duo than Auburn needing to get two yards and not being able to get it. That's true, but still, <laughs> TJ Finley had proven up until that point that he was shaky at best as a passer all day, right? Like, just the inconsistency was just, uh, the inconsistency was consistent, right? Yeah. And so I, I just, I do think while Auburn should have tried to establish the run a little bit more with their patchwork offensive line, I, I think that Harson was in a really difficult situation in terms of calling plays. Now, uh, the fact that he called two straight passes after uh, after uh, Bigsby picked up eight yards late in that game, I don't understand. But you know what? I'm not the head coach. So, but I do I do agree. I think Tank should have gotten the ball more, or the running game should have just there should have been more runs. I'm not sure if Auburn runs the ball more five more times. I'm not sure if it changes this res- this result because. Let's just call it like it is. If Auburn commits more to the running game, what's Houston going to do? And and Kristen, you said it just a few moments ago. They were going to be able to stop it if they knew it was coming. Houston is one of the best third down defenses in college football. And so if all of a sudden you commit to running the football on early downs and you're not mixing it up, you're going to be looking at third down and six, third down and seven. And TJ Finley's not going to, with consistency, be able to extend a drive in those circumstances. So I think it all comes back to, yes, I would love to see a balanced Auburn offense that is able to run the football with consistency, but the reality is without that passing game, it's not going to be able to because this offensive line is not good enough to open up holes with consistency against a run defense like Houston's. That defensive line was, for the most part, controlling the game on that side of the football. Yeah, I think um, I think to offensive line's credit, though, they played a pretty decent game for missing some starters. Exactly. Like TJ had a fair amount of time back there in the pocket like that was one of the better pass pro games I've seen out of this offensive line this season and TJ had time and sometimes he made it work and sometimes he just overthrew somebody it was and the offensive line's not going to be perfect since we're going into quarterback play now this is a knock that I have that we saw full-fledged yesterday and we've seen this several times with TJ up to this point but it was just plain as day yesterday there is no pocket mobility and I'm not meaning outside of the pocket I mean the ability to move around in the pocket and a shift with the pocket as it goes because it's not always going to keep you perfectly clean sometimes you have to step up to give yourself that extra half second that extra second to be able to get a football out cleanly sometimes you have to move with it to the left or to the right not because someone's coming to sack you but because that's the way that the pressure is moving you around in the pocket there is no pocket mobility there is a lack of footwork there for TJ Finley as a quarterback and that's why so many times you saw him get hit as he threw or he had to do this weird hop thing where he would throw Mm -hmm. it at the feet of a receiver five feet away that aspect of TJ Finley's game is not there and that's why you're getting the inconsistency out of him as a quarterback at this point look I think TJ Finley is what we all thought he was we have two years worth of a collection of games at LSU and now at Auburn that shows he is the same quarterback that we thought he was when he got to Auburn he didn't really improve from his freshman year to his sophomore year. He's about the same quarterback. He could take that next step forward next year with Austin Davis and a little bit more development, and I probably would expect him to get a little bit better. He works hard. I think Austin Davis will be good, but he's 
I don't think he's a SEC starting caliber quarterback, at least at Auburn. And I think he's a really good backup in the SEC because name name a backup in the league that you would feel more confident in right now than TJ Finley after you've seen him play at the end of the season. Outside of like a JT Daniels. Exactly. Outside yeah. of JT Daniels or whatever five stars going to Alabama this year to, yeah. <laughs> to be the backup quarterback and eventually be the starter down the line. But I would take TJ Finley over pretty much any backup in the SEC. And, and that is to his credit. Like I, that is what you brought him in for. You didn't bring him in to be the starter down these last three games. You didn't. You expected to have Bo Nix down these last three games. You brought him in to help give you a chance to win games if Bo Nix went down. And he did just that. I think TJ Finley fulfilled his purpose on this roster this year and did it to a T. And I think he gave Auburn a shot to win games. He even kept the season alive when he beat Georgia State earlier yeah. in the year. I think he 100% did everything he was asked to do, and he did it well to his capabilities and to his ability. But the reality of it is, and you just said this, the reality of it is this. he He's what he is. You, you, what you see is what you're getting with T.J. Finley, and I don't think he's much more than that. At least at Auburn, I don't. I don't think it'll be that way. I think Auburn's got to mm-hmm. figure something out at quarterback with a different option, Lance. And, and where have we heard what Christian said before, saying we've seen two years of this guy now and we know what he is, right? And we would like to hope that he gets better with a little bit of development, but we don't know if that's going to happen. Where have we heard that before? See, Bo Nix <laughs> is a different is a different case here though because he got a different coach this year and he sure. became more than that sure but at the same time like do we think that tj finley if it, i mean it, it, do we think that he's got an upside like bo nix did i just think bo has like i i totally understand what you're saying i just think bo has a higher upside in terms of he brings that rushing ability he can make crazy plays one was a five-star, one yeah. was a three-star. There, right. There's like both ceiling is a lot higher. And so that's my – And his floor might also be lower than TJ's, to be fair, too. But That's yeah, my that's point. point. That's my point is I feel like this is a worse situation. So even giving that a thought that he could potentially develop into somebody, I feel like it's dangerous because if you walk into SEC play with TJ Finley as your starting quarterback next season, I think you're going to have some issues. And to your point, Noah, I don't think he is a starting quarterback. I think he is a backup quarterback. And if you look at his overall numbers, I mean, for him to pass for like 800 yards six touchdowns and a pick I mean he didn't make crucial errors he just wasn't consistent he just wasn't consistently accurate and I think that's what a backup quarterback is and you don't want to see them make crucial errors throwing interceptions he almost outplayed Clayton Toon yesterday he almost did until that final touchdown drive that ended up being the difference T.J. Finley was outplaying Toon. Toon had like a 5.7 yards per attempt until that final drive. T.J. Finley was sitting at like 6.7. And then over the last quarter when the offense went silent and Houston's offense had one drive that won them the ball game, outside of that, T.J. Finley, I thought, outplayed Toon. Toon was the one with the crucial errors. The passing mm-hmm. offense at Houston was the one that almost gifted Auburn the ball game. So, And you got to give Auburn's defense a lot of credit there. But still, I, I stand by the fact that this – T.J. Finley didn't lose Auburn the game yesterday, but he did not win Auburn the game yesterday yeah. either. I think that's a really good way of putting it. And one of my takeaways during the game and after the game would be that obviously backup quarterbacks are one of the most popular players on the team in terms of the fan base. They're always like, oh, let's put in the backup. Some people owe Bo Nix an apology. Well, there's a, they're, they're backups for a reason. And a lot of people yeah. were asking for Demetrius Davis, and I would have liked to have seen Demetrius Davis get reps down these last three games this year i would i would have i i do not disagree with somebody that would that would say that demetrius davis should have gotten playing time down the stretch i don't disagree with that but here's my take most teams do not have a starting quarterback or a great starting quarterback that's third string on their depth chart 
We've only seen that a handful of times, and we've seen it at places like Ohio State, who finished top three in recruiting every year. And then we saw it magically at A&M, which this was just kind of a off-the-charts random thing that occurred with Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel was a third stringer at A&M before he got that opportunity. We don't see it that often to where this coaching staff was so abysmally wrong with who they had in the depth chart at quarterback that they were so abysmally wrong that they had the wrong guy and he was at third string. They're, they're at third string for a reason. Mm-hmm. Brian Harson talked about it after the game um, when he was asked about the targeting calls and just how tough was it for the defense to be able to – some of the walk-ons to step up and play – and he just said, um, every starter, every guy that's played for you, there's a reason why they're starters. So it impacts your team. There's a reason why D. Davis was behind the guys that he was. Exactly. I kind of expected D. Davis to get a drive um, in there. You know, like maybe like the LSU game, he would get like the fourth drive. Just an opportunity to see what she what she got in. But it. at the end of the day, Brian Harson had stressed it that he wanted to win that game. And so Auburn fell behind early, and maybe that was in the cards. And then because they were behind early, they kind of – had to just scrap it and keep rolling with TJ because that's who they believed in and that's who they thought gave them the best chance to win. So I understand people calling for D. Davis, but that's what happens every year. People called for Joey Gatewood, uh, Bo's freshman year, and now Joey can't even start at UCF. People called for TJ. TJ stepped up when Bo got hurt and he was serviceable, but he was not Bo Nix. And now people called for D. Davis and maybe it would have worked, maybe it wouldn't have, but we saw what happened when the backup stepped in for the starter earlier this year. Let's head to the phone lines now, 334-321-1390. Who do we have with us on the line with us? How's it going? Uh, this is Ed. Am I... Yeah, Ed, you're good. Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm going to completely just disagree with, you know, I understand a little bit of, oh, well, no, I don't. There's no excuse. If 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 uh, Demetrius Davis has done something so egregious, disrespectful, or something to the coaching staff that he couldn't have played in that game, he should not have been on that team. To have him on that team, and, and let me tell you something else. Uh, you probably done lost him, so y'all quit worrying about what he's going to mean. If you think TJ. He is not ever, ever going to be a, a good college quarterback, ever, okay? Now, to not put him in not only was very disrespectful, and it tells it every recruit out there looking at that, thinking, okay, you know, it, why don't we put him in? Every we got recruits, guys. It's not just about this one guy. It's about and Harson failed in that test. He failed miserably, in my opinion, guys. And you know, and I appreciate y'all trying to take up for it. But you, you know, you just trying to. I, I don't know. Just, just. I mean, just stop and just look at the truth. It was the most pathetic performance by quarterback that I can remember. You know, he over he was throwing at people's feet or overthrowing them. I, I mean, come on, get real, guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, Ed. We appreciate the call, War Eagle. Ah, War Eagle. That was Ed on the line with us. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety. I think D. Davis should have played. I do. I do think that he should have got an opportunity. And, and 
you know, I said that he should have got an opportunity back in the South Carolina game. I, I would like to see D. Davis. I, I see no reason as to why D. Davis should not have gotten an opportunity over the last three games of this season. I see no reason why. I just still believe that T.J. Finley gave all, gives Auburn the best chance to win. But I do agree right. with Ed. I do agree with Ed that Demetrius Davis should have played over these last three weeks this season. And, and I, honestly, I don't quite understand the reasons as to why he did not. I don't. I don't even know the reasons why why he didn't. I don't think anyone knows. Um, I think he should have had at least a package um, of some sort. Allowed to run the football. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you put in D, uh, Auburn wins the Iron Bowl. If you put in D Davis in the second half, Auburn might win the Iron Bowl. If you put in Grant Loy in the second half, oh, because no, hold on a minute, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm being completely serious here because TJ couldn't move. He couldn't yeah. run. All you needed was someone that could just move a little bit, and TJ couldn't do that. Yeah. To his credit, he was fighting out there on an injury, but I mean, I don't know. I think D Davis should have played, but clearly this coaching staff something happened in the, I I honestly think he was going to play yesterday, but because they fell behind early, they just had to scrap that plan a little bit. But there should have been something ready for him in the South Carolina and the Alabama mm-hmm. game. So you want to know what? I, sorry, Lance. I, I actually doubt that he was going to play yesterday at all because he was running scout team the whole week. This this coaching staff obviously sees something that we don't uh, because they're because they're in practice and we're not. But but to to your point, Christian, and I think that you you would agree, and I think a lot of people would agree that bowl game kind of played out how we thought it was going to play out, right? With Auburn not being able to do a whole lot offensively, and to your point, Noah, saying that you know it's the bowl game, it's the opportunity to try and try new things, right? Because this is a game where not a whole lot is at stake except for just like making the fan base happy at the end of the year but it would have made the fan base happy at the end of the year if you had tried new things and maybe yeah. potentially put Demetrius Davis in nothing's going to hurt it so I'm right there with y'all I don't know why he's not gotten a shot and the thing is is like if he's that bad that he can't go out there and compete I don't understand that because he was the winningest high school quarterback out of the state of Texas ever it's like obviously he's good at doing something why can't you at least get him a couple so snaps this is why I think he's not playing I think this is a coaching staff that has a vision, has a philosophy, and they are glued to it. And like so that is that is how it's going to be. The, and if you don't fit that playing style, if you don't fit that archetype, you're not going to play. Or even potentially, it's like it's the mentality of like we are not playing true freshmen yeah, at an important position at any point, regardless. And there, still, there is some type of mentality there with this coaching staff that Demetrius Davis doesn't fit at this point, and that's why he's not playing. And this coaching staff, for lack of a better term, like, it, there, look, coaches are stubborn. Let's just be real with it. Coaches are stubborn. Go ahead, Lance. Uh, I, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say is like still. It's like that stinks if that's the case because like a lot of people wanted to see it. But you know what? If that's their philosophy and they're gonna stick to it, there's nothing we can do. But I will say, I agree with Christian. Uh, I think that there have been moments in this back half of these final what three, four games where Auburn could have at least tried something because you lost. Five in a row, right? Ten a year? Yeah. So. I mean, I think, I don't know. I don't think there's a huge, I've seen some people on like Twitter and stuff and our message boards um, that have some huge conspiracy that, you know, D Davis did something wrong and that's why he's not going to play or whatnot. This staff has shown its willingness to play freshman. Landon Kane worked his way into playing time. Tavares Dawson was on the field for the first yeah. time yesterday. Um, Marquise Robinson we heard really good things about him in practice um, in the middle of the season, and then he played for the first time in the Georgia game because of that. This coaching staff has proved that it doesn't matter if you're a freshman or a senior. Yeah. If you're working really hard in practice, you have a chance to get on the field. 
So maybe that was what happened with D Davis. We don't know because we weren't there and we're not the coaches. So we don't get a firsthand look and we don't get that full insight. But I mean, I think D Davis could have seen the field and for whatever reason, it didn't happen. Let's head to a quick break here. When we come back, we keep talking about the Birmingham Bowl on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us on the Wednesday edition of the show. Christian, other takeaways? Um... You the know, defense. Yeah. How about it? Yeah, I mean, the defense played really good. Um, Chandler Wooten, heck of a senior send-off for him. I'm really happy for that. Chandler's a really great guy. Over the past, I think, five straight games now that Auburn's lost, he's been the guy that Auburn trots out there to talk with us, um, talk with the media after the game. And he Is always, he draftable? Um, I don't know if he would get drafted, but I think he's certainly a guy that gets a – gets invited to a camp as an undrafted free agent um and I has an he opportunity played really to well all year long i mean he's one of the tackle leaders on the team yeah no i think he had a pretty solid season which i honestly wasn't really expecting um after opting out in the 2020 season and then even before that he was a serviceable backup i think but i didn't really think he was anything more than that and then he honestly had a pretty solid season um and he ended it in a really good way um it was unfortunate for him that it ended in a loss but I still think there were some really good takeaways for that with him. Um, More on the defense as well. I think Wesley Steiner played a decent game, which you're going to see a lot more of him probably next year. Um, So it was good to see some of the younger guys step up on the defensive side. I thought the secondary played excellent. Outside of – I need to go back and watch because I haven't watched it yet. Outside of whoever was dealing with Nathaniel Dell all day. Fair. um, The secondary did play really good. But that's – watching him yesterday, he's a future NFL player. He's a young yeah. guy. He's only a sophomore right now. This was his first big season. I mean, watching him play, he's a future NFL guy. And I thought yesterday, and Auburn's defense, the way that they their scheme is oriented with the zone coverage, it's not about necessarily taking one dude out of the equation. I thought that they, for all, you know, you, you look at the stats, they held him to 17 points, but on top of that, Clayton Toon was not effective. I mean, outside, I mean, his first drive, he started seven for eight, and I saw your tweet about go figure Auburn quarterbacks, uh, Auburn defensive backs letting an opposing quarterback just pop off on him. Outside of that, though, you, you break it down, he finished like 20 for 34. That's not an overly efficient day. He had an interception, didn't really do anything for three quarters. Um, I, I thought Auburn's secondary actually may have played one of their best games of the year against a passing offense that has torn some people up this year. And without Roger McCreary, too. Yeah. So the secondary. And Smoke Monday. And Jalen Simpson. <laughs> yeah. For a little bit. That, yeah, there was a point there where it was like you were looking down and it's like, who are these people? Well, hey, there's Ro Torrance. Dreshawn Miller. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, he wasn't out there. Yeah, Miller but, wasn't out there. Is he a ghost? Um. I don't think he was there at the game. I never saw him like in pregame warmups, which could have been a COVID issue or mm. something like that. I don't, I don't know. I don't have any confirmation on that. But um, you know, like Devin Geis was out there, and Trey Elston, Trey Elston, yeah, Auburn High's very own Trey Elston was out there. There was, there were just some like numbers that popped up in the game. Garrison Walker on the defensive line. It was like I've not seen this number on the field all season long. Where did you come from? Let's head to the phone lines now, 334-321-1390. Terry, we got about a minute and a half until break. What's up? Hey, guys, how y'all doing? Doing real well. What's going on? I'm going to disagree with Christian there a little bit. I think there's some guys, for whatever reason, and I've said this multiple times, 
for whatever reason, they just perform better in games than 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 uh, practice. And I always felt like that was Bo Nix's case. I felt like Bo Nix was a great practice player uh, because for all the criticism everybody wants to give T.J. Finley yesterday, and he deserves a lot of it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Bo Nix, Bo Nix got excuse made for him after excuse. Different coordinators, different coaches, all kind. Anything we could do to make excuse for Bo Nix, they did it. Um, they were never more than a six or seven win team with Bo Nix. Same thing they are right now, a six seven win team. Um, you know that, that that's just that's just how I feel. And, and I got news for you folks. There's a lot of people that agree with me. Just not as many people, not as many people willing to speak as bluntly as I do. Terry, so. I, I disagree. I think Auburn beats South Carolina. I think Auburn with Bo probably beats Alabama with, if the game unfolds defensively like it did. And then I think Auburn wins the bowl game yesterday if if, if Bo's there. I think Auburn wins three win more games. games without Bo Nix. Yeah, I mean that's why it was close. But the difference is one quarterback would have made those throws and the other quarterback didn't. I mean, T.J. Right. Finley at the end of the day had one touchdown, and I think Bo with one more touchdown pass in that ball game, and and he would have made some of those throws. I think Auburn wins the game yesterday. T.J. clearly showed that he wasn't able to make those throws yesterday. I think he like Brian Harson. I think he made the correct read. Now stop the right. Just didn't execute the play. Yeah. Now here's the thing. I think Brian Harson is a disaster. I think Brian. I think we're staring straight at the Doug Barfield era again. Now, you guys are too young to remember that, but Bill was talking about it yesterday on the drive. Hey, Terry, we got to go to a break, my man. Okay. I hate to cut you off. It's the hard break. Right. Appreciate the call. That was Terry on the line with us. Uh, we'll be back on the other side of this break, 30 minutes through the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. 30 minutes into the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you. Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us for the entire first hour of the show. Going to head back to the phone lines. Terry stayed with us over the break. Sorry we had to cut you off, Terry. It's a network break, and uh, we we don't choose when we get to take it. Uh, But please, finish your thought about what was going on uh, with with the disaster. No no worries, guys. I really appreciate y'all allowing me to do that. Uh, I I just – I'm following what I I think Brian Harson's going to be a disaster – I think he's. I think he. I don't think he really wants to be there. I think his style of play is is meant to be in Idaho. Uh, case in point, you run the ball on first down, you get eight yards, you throw it two straight times. That's ridiculous. This is the Southeastern Conference. Uh, that may be the way it played out in Idaho, but it's not the way it's played down here. And and I just think that's going to be a disaster. There, there's probably some truth to he learning how to coach in the Southeastern Conference. But my goodness, you don't learn to coach in the Southeastern Conference at Auburn. That's asking for trouble. And another thing too, guys, keep this in mind. Okay, when Pat Dye came to Auburn, he went five and six. Now that's way back yonder. I'm I'm 55 years old, so I'm a little older than Leo. Um, did you see where the program was headed? It was headed in a positive direction. He was also against an aging Bear Bryant who was at the tail end of his career. Then you fast forward a few years. You go to Tommy Tuberville. He also went five and six in his first year, and you also see the program is headed in a strong direction. But Tommy Tuberville was also against Mike Shula, Mike Price, Dennis Franchoni, all those clowns. Okay. Brian Harson, as long as he's up, he's up against a juggernaut monster in uh, Tuscaloosa, and and it's something he can't be successful. No matter what he does, he won't be successful. So I believe he, he realizes he's made a mistake by coming to Auburn. Uh, we'll see what he does next year. I'll tell you this, and well, I'll say this: if he throws up another six and six, six and seven next year, he will be gone. And I don't, like I said, I don't think he wants to be there in the first place, quite honestly. And and, and if he has a trouble playing freshman, boy, he better get over that quick because guys <laughs> come out of school ready to play nowadays. That's true. I don't and, and that's, just, that's just the serious nature of it. And I just, 
I just believe we're staring at another Doug Barfield, maybe even Gene Chizik. Now, I know I wait for somebody to say, well, Gene Chizik won a national title. But you've got to look at his entire body of work. And remember something, guys. That 3-9 and nine season in 2012, Gus Malzahn went 11-2 and two with that same team insert Nick Marshall the next year. So, so Terry, that team wasn't that bad. This is, this is where I want to go with you on this, though. And, and if you believe that this is headed to, towards disaster, that's fine. It very well could be. I can't predict the future. I know, I know you can't predict the future. Nobody in this room can predict the future. It could be headed in a positive direction. It could be headed in a disastrous direction. That aside, though, can you fire the coach after one year? Can you fire the coach after two years? Because you're not going to be able to bring someone in willing to step into a place whose job security extends only to one year. Nobody's going to do that. Well, and the way I, the way I debate that, Noah, is why did you go get Hugh Freeze? I don't know what, what the deal was there. I don't know if there's something there between him and Greg Sankey or what. But if you want a guy that can beat Nick Saban, my goodness, Hugh Freeze has proven he can do it. And, and he's proven he can develop quarterbacks. So why not? I mean, why, it just seemed too perfect. I don't know. I, I'm still boggled by the fact that we went, you know, 3,000 miles to get a football coach when there's one just a few hundred miles up the road. And I, th- and I and think then, there are many people that have suggested that and suggested that last year. I mean, Hugh Freeze was a hot name on people's hot boards all over the place last year. But I, I just don't think that we see him – at a place like Auburn uh, in the near future. There's a reason why he keeps signing extensions with Liberty year after year. I just, I just don't think teams in the Southeast are that interested in him because they've there have been opportunities. Tennessee could have did it. Uh, there, there's a number of teams that I, I think, you know, would have done that if they were legitimately interested. And, and well, I, I don't I think they're I'd legitimately get him in interested. <laughs> and, 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 I'd go and, get him in a heartbeat because and, I think he can win and he can certainly put the heat on Nick Saban and that's what's going to have to happen. And, as far as Demetrius Davis goes, guys, if I'm Demetrius Davis, I walk into Brian, Har- Brian Harson's office and tell him I'd have a Coke and a smile. I'm going somewhere, and I'm going to come back and beat him. That's and, as simple as that. <laughs> I, I can't believe that kid didn't get to play even one snap. And, and I, I said that earlier. I said I thought D. Davis should have played over these last three games. If people will remember when D. Davis, back in like you know February, March-ish, somewhere around there, I was talking about the quarterback situation at Auburn, and I said I didn't think – Demetrius Davis was ever going to end up being a starting quarterback at Auburn. I, I just didn't believe that he fit the direction that this program was going based on his play style. That's not me saying that he's not a good quarterback. That's not me saying that he's not capable. I just think he fits a different play style and a different coaching staff's vision. And I think he fit the vision of the previous regime than, than this one. And I think that's why you're probably not seeing him play right now. Yeah, but at the, the same time, Noah, you gotta, you, guys, you got to understand something. He may have fit the, the previous year, but you gotta you got to be willing to adapt. Look at Nick Saban's team this year. Tell me that's the same kind of team he recruited in 2009 when he won it all. Oh, Terry, I agree with you 100%. They're totally different. you got to learn to adapt. I, I agree with you, and that was the big issue that I had with Malzahn is that he never adapted. The reality is there are a very small percentage of coaches that actually adapt, and Nick Saban's in that elite category because he's been able to adapt with the times. And yeah. I, I don't yeah, think take- that – you too, Terry. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. That was Terry on the line with this. Guys, I want to get y'all's thought on this because we were talking about it during the break, and Terry took that in the exact direction that we were talking to the break about coaches willing to adapt. And the reality is, to us, it appears stubborn. It does. But the reality is, coaches come in, they have culture, they have philosophy, they have ideas, and they build their programs around these pillars of how they believe that it should be ran. And they don't veer from it. You don't. You don't veer from that. And the coaches, the most elite coaches in college football that have stood the test of time, they've adapted with the times. They have. And 
the reality is very a very small percentage of coaches actually do that mm-hmm. and i th- I, I mean I, I don't know gus malzahn didn't adapt let's just be real he didn't he didn't adapt and guess what he's, he's coaching in south florida now or central florida you know i mean that, that that's yeah, just the, state champions uh, yeah <laughs> that's true they are the best team in, in in florida this year but the reality is he didn't adapt and that saw him out at auburn and then brian harson i'm not sure if he's i don't i don't know if he's fallen in the same footsteps we haven't seen enough but you do have to adapt but most coaches do not mm-hmm. i think that's a very fair way of putting it to be honest i don't have any too much more to add to that i agree with you but i'll say this as a counterpoint after one year do you like is it do we have enough information to say that he needs to adapt i don't think he has right. all the personnel in to do what he wants to do yeah after, after a six and seven season can we definitively say he's not adapted to the sec and i mean he's even said in his press conference i believe it's like he's learned more this year than he has any mm-hmm. year he's ever coached and so i think he's obviously learned some things he almost beat nick saban with all of the issues surrounding the program at the time if you give him time to establish himself and to bring in some recruits i mean there's poss- there's a possibility that this could go in a very positive direction but also a negative one i so. think he's just stuck in an unfortunate and kind of tricky situation to where people knew it would take time or at least most people knew it would take time because he was running a pretty different system than gus and he also needed to restock some depleted rooms see the offensive line but all of a sudden auburn was what was it six and two yeah six and two and there was hope that Auburn could run the table and win the SEC this year. And so all of a sudden, the bar got moved forward a little bit and everyone was like, okay, we're ahead. Auburn is ahead of schedule. And then Auburn loses five straight and people are frustrated. And then you look at it next year and the talent might be more depleted because of guys going to the draft and whatnot. And all of a sudden, the people that were saying, oh, Auburn just needs to be patient. Like, it'll take a little bit of time. They're not. There's less patience. There's or- less yeah, there's less patience. You can say that word a lot better than me. <laughs> <laughs> there's less patience there because there was some hope. There was some hope this season, and he gave them hope, um, and they were playing really well. And then all of a sudden that hope got sucked away, and now people are less patient, and they're just unsure of kind of the direction of the program. Well, let's call it what it is, though. Let's, you know, what, what was the asteroid that killed all hope this season for those people? And the reality of it is... If Bo Nix stayed healthy, if Bo Nix stayed healthy, let's just be real. Auburn wins more games and people feel better about the future. Mm-hmm. They do. Auburn still loses to Texas A&M. They honestly probably still lose to Mississippi State. But they beat South Carolina. And if the defense plays the way it does in the Iron Bowl and Bo Nix is healthy, Auburn wins and maybe they win by two or three touchdowns. Let's yeah. just be honest. And so, you know, I, I think that people have to just take a reality check. It, it, the reality is the number one guy got hurt and most teams would not have done better than what Auburn did over these last three, four games with their backup quarterback. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been in those games. And so I think it's unfair to say that this is headed in a disastrous direction. If you're not willing to recognize the fact that the quarterback situation, I mean, the, the game changed. Yep. It did. The it changed, changed for him. And then you have to keep in mind the offensive line was, he inherited a bad situation there and he inherited a, bad situation in the wide receiver room as well so i, th- I think and the way that he's recruiting right now let's when everything was healthy and when things were progressing the way that they were he was six and two and he beat a team that's got 10 wins right now guys and he didn't just beat them he beat them bad i mean that albert controlled that game against old miss mm-hmm. they won by two they won by two scores they won by 11 points they beat arkansas that could be a nine win team if they beat penn state i mean you break it down 
And they almost beat Alabama without their number one guy at quarterback. So you break it down, it's like there's still room to be optimistic about this team. Just the 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 rules of war changed. It, it, it got different. That's the only way that – I mean, that's – that's why I think people are being a little unfair right now to, to the head coach position. I, you just do not want to get into a situation where you start trying to run guys off because they had one losing season of their first year. I just, I just think it's a bad idea. Let's head to the phone lines now, 334-321-1390. Paul is on the line with us. Paul, how's it going? Oh, we lost Paul. Let's go ahead. I believe Specter is on the line with us. Specter, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. What's up, Specter? Well, uh... I said they would go six and six, and I said they would lose yesterday or the bowl game. Yeah, I picked them to lose. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing about it, guys, I'm not ready to kick Carson out of town, but this is the deal: he fired a a coach in the middle of the season that didn't accomplish anything offensively. Only thing it did negatively is lose a good recruiter. Uh, you referring to Mike Bobo? No, Williams. Okay. I think the receivers got better, though, Spectre. No, 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 That that's a mid. <laughs> that's, that's fine. A mid. I mean, I, I think they got a little bit better, but, yeah. and I think. My point is proven in the bowl game. Uh, now, in a later, I think, what, what game was it he fired Bobo? He fired Bobo after the Alabama game. Okay. Nothing changed in the, in the bowl game. Matter of fact, it got worse. I don't know if it got worse. So I mean, Auburn did score 13. He sacrificed two great recruiters to prove a point that wasn't there. He has an offense that can't produce, can't execute. And you had injuries, yes. He just didn't have the personnel to do it. So I don't know where he's going to get the offensive personnel next year. It may end up being another building year. But uh, I don't see it happening anytime soon. Uh, I've said this for years. The name of the game is recruiting. Malzahn failed at it. And the AD need to hire a coach that is excellent in recruiting, a staff that is excellent in recruiting. Arson may be a good recruiter, but he just knocked two great recruiters out of his staff. So I don't know where we're going from here. To be fair, though, Terry, he did just sign the top, a top 14 recruiting class and made that giant leap without those two coaches on his staff. Uh, I well, mean, he, he did that without Williams and Bobo. Yeah, this is Spectre, by the way. Yeah, yeah, my bad, Spectre. Sorry, um, Spectre. I mean, he did he did finish top fifteen in recruiting, making a giant leap from outside the top twenty five, top thirty without Williams and Bobo on the staff. I mean, I, I don't think that those guys were necessary for Auburn to bring yeah, in those those players. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but those recruits, mainly those recruits, are coming in from the uh, defense, right? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, there are a lot of defensive players, and Javon Reed helped yeah, close in on a lot of those guys. There's nothing wrong with our defense or our defensive coach. So those recruits were defensive recruits, and uh, we still got the question of the offense. So I don't know where we go from here, guys. It's, it's tough. 
It's definitely up in the air, and I understand that there's. I, I do not disagree with anybody that says it's uncertain the future of Auburn football. This is probably the the fork in the road year for for Auburn football, and I've seen that for a couple of weeks now. That you know, we, you, you don't know what direction this is going. And I said on the previous call with Terry that I can't predict what's going to happen next year. I can't predict what's going to happen three or four years from now. It could be disastrous. It could also be really good. I just think the argu- the argument is, and I know you said this at the beginning of your call, you can't fire the guy. This is who you hired, and you can't get into the business of firing coaches after one season because nobody will come here. Yeah, uh, I'll just hate to see those two coaches leave. Really, tell you the truth, sure. And Williams, Specter, we appreciate anyway, the call, my man. Thank you. That was Specter on the line with us three three four three two one thirteen ninety. And I, and I know Spector's not advocating for this because uh, he said at the beginning of his call, you know, you can't let the guy go. But I, I stand by what I just said. You can't fire Brian Harson after this season, and they're not going to. I don't even know if you can fire him after next season. I think it's a bad, bad luck. I mean, Auburn would have to go 3-9 and nine next year for me to say, yeah, it's time to clean. It's, it's time to clean it up. I but, think oh, – sorry. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I, I just think if, if, he, if he goes to a bowl game again next year mm-hmm. – you know the the re, we know this this is a rebuild. People don't want to hear this. This you've got to take your medicine right now. People don't want to hear this, but here's the reality: Auburn is doing something different with Brian Harson. It's different than what Auburn had before, and you asked for this. Most people asked for this. They asked to move on from Gus Malzahn because they wanted the hope. They wanted to take the risk that you could do better than eight wins every year, than better than four or five losses. I remember those calls. That was a year ago from today. I remember listening. People want people wanted this. All right? And the reality is, right now, you've got to take the medicine. It's going to take time. And people don't want to hear that. But it's going to take time if it's going to be done correctly. And like I said, I can't predict the future. I can't predict if this is going to work or not. But you can't kill the experiment this early on. You've got to let it play out. I think a point that you've made quite a bit, and you made it, I believe, even whenever Harson got hired and you've continued to make it recently, is that you have really difficult jobs in Division One college football, right? You've got the Kansases of the world, you've got the Vanderbilts, and then you have Auburn, where you're having to compete in a division where and you recruit. have... And recruit against teams like Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, Georgia. Georgia, in the other division, the SEC East Florida, right? You have to Clemson com- comes into your region as well and cherry picks your best recruits. You have to compete against those teams on and off the field. If you fire a coach after a year or two seasons, the point you made, who's going to want to come here? Who's going to want to come here? That's a, that's a high-profile guy. It's like, they're going to kick me out if I don't do good immediately. And I, that's, that's a really difficult situation to succeed immediately in, unless I'm throwing out money to every single recruit behind, behind closed doors. Also, let me assure you, and I'll say this too, the, the, a future of uncertainty and, and disaster down the line is not bred just with one bad season. Mm-hmm. It didn't just happen this year, guys. The, the position that Auburn is in right now, and Christian, I, I want to get your thoughts on this before we go to break. I, I, you cover recruiting. You know this. It didn't just start happening now. These are the, the players on this roster now were recruited four years ago, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, and sure, Auburn was better than six wins, I think, this season. But the reality is the situation that Auburn is in was created three or four years prior. Yeah, I mean, I talked about it a little bit earlier, but Ryan Harson inherited – pretty pretty bad offensive line room i mean gus just didn't recruit offensive tackles well, let's just be real he inherited a pretty bad offense uh other than tank i mean the tight end room was pretty good that's fair the quarterback room with Bo in it i don't know Bo wasn't good when he came here though 
Yeah, there was some potential there to work with, but I, I think you got to give credit to Brian Harson for for yeah, growing no, he definitely deserves he credit. But I think the running back room was good. Well, the top of the running back, yeah, he didn't inherit <laughs> that great of an off, offensive room because there wasn't a ton of running back depth. You know, the new staff brought in Jarquez Hunter, There's no receivers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I liked a lot of these receivers, especially when they committed, but. So far, most of them haven't really panned out outside of like a Kobe Hudson. Um, so I think people can kind of see the point that I'm making is like that this problem was created years ago and this guy's just inheriting it and having to try and clean it up. Yeah, it, it was a problem that built up over time. Um, and because Brian Harson is changing to a new system, it made it more difficult because Gus might have had a better year this year, but that's because he would have been running his system. Mm-hmm. And Brian is trying to change things um, and that'll take time. We knew that from the get-go, but some people kind of have forgotten about that. It's going to take time. we got to head to a quick break here. When we come back, we'll wrap up hour number one of On the Line. Wrapping up hour number one of the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Took some long segments. We only have about a minute and a half left. This is the last episode of the year. Programming note will be off Thursday and Friday of this week. So, Happy New Year to everybody out there. Happy New Year, Noah. Happy New Year to you, man. And that is the voice of Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com. What do you guys have coming up on the website? Yeah, we'll have basketball coverage for the game tonight. Um, we'll have probably some football stuff moving forward, you know, looking ahead to next season, maybe like a way too early depth chart or something like that fun. So we'll have some different stuff kind of moving forward. And then, you know, we're going to be tracking the transfer portal pretty hard here. It should be heating up again pretty soon. Top of the offseason to-do list for Auburn football. Quarterback. Not off in the one? Nope, quarterback. I think the offensive line is a big issue, um, but TJ Finley is not going to get the job done next year. Do you think Holden G could be? Um, I I really like Holden, but I think he's going to need just a little bit of time to develop. Um, sure. So I would, and I think just like any quarterback would. Yeah, I think it would be an unfair situation to him to thrust him into a starting role as a freshman which was the situation Bo Nix was put in, and it didn't work out for him overly well the first couple years at Auburn. So let's do what we were talking about, Noah. Let's get a senior quarterback that's about to graduate, let him play next year, and let Holden G uh, develop underneath him. Yeah, that's what I've been talking about. That's what we've been talking about for for about a month now (laughs) that Auburn needs. Make it happen, boys. That's it for hour number one of On the Line. Christian, appreciate you spending time with us. Happy New Year, my man. Yeah, Happy New Year. Thank you guys for having me. We'll be back with you on the other side of this break. Stay tuned. Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 106.7 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line 334-564-1840. Lance, good hour. 
Yeah, absolutely. And if you missed any of it, you can go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We had Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com on with us to talk about the Birmingham Bowl, talk about Auburn's quarterback situation, and just talk about the future of Auburn football. Had a lot of callers in the first hour as well. Really appreciate everybody that called in. And going back to the announcement that you made at the beginning of the show for new listeners. Yeah, I uh, this is uh, this is the last episode of On the Line for me, and I really appreciate uh, all the time that I've gotten to spend here. It's just been really, really fun every day getting to talk about Auburn football, getting to talk about sports in general, all the fantastic interns we've had, getting in to interact with them, getting to go to media days and do all these different things. It would not have been possible if, if I had not been uh, offered to come on this show. Really appreciate the opportunity that you gave me earlier on this year, Noah. It's been uh, an incredible time here on On the Line. And where can people keep up with you moving forward? They can follow me on Twitter at Daw Pound, and I'll just be putting out random stuff there. I, I, I uh, host a Locked On Kentucky podcast talking about Kentucky athletics. I also write for AuburnWire.usatoday.com talking about Auburn-related things. And if I have anything else come up uh, in my world, I'm probably going to tweet about it. So on Twitter at Daw Pound. It's been an absolute blast doing the show with you, and we got one more hour to do, my man. I'm proud of you, everything that you got going on, how I've seen you grown, and all of the opportunities you've got coming up for you in the future. I really am. And if folks want to call in, 334-321-1390, wish Lance well. Give him a call. He's behind the board right now running the controls. Still on the line with me for one more hour. And let's start off hour number two with where we were back in hour number one, still talking about the direction of this Auburn football program. It's no secret. People are disgruntled. I respect that 100%. I get it. I'm concerned too. I am. Yeah, I definitely think that you have to like differentiate between like being upset and then being upset about the future and being upset about the fact that Auburn went six and seven this year. I think some people are looking at this situation and saying, oh, this is awful and it's going to be awful long term. And then I think there are some fans out there that are just like, yeah, things could get better. And I'm one of those people who's like, man, going six and seven stinks, right? Like there's no there's no changing that. Like six and seven is like, oh, well, like ugh. it's I, impossible I to. to predict where we go from here right it's impossible to predict what is going to happen next season the entire roster isn't even complete yet they're going to go into the transfer portal they're going to go and try and find some new players we don't even know who's starting at quarterback next year Mm -hmm. it's impossible to predict even a year from now with how many players are leaving the program this year it is impossible to predict three or four seasons from now and so i get it if someone is of the opinion that auburn is heading for absolute catastrophe absolute disaster that's fine for you to have that opinion i respect that that is your prediction of where things are headed if you're of the opinion that things are headed for a better product down the line that this thing is one day going to get built and it's going to be great and it's going to be better than what auburn had under gus malzahn if you believe that good i'm happy for your optimism but the reality is right here where we stand right now inspector said it best in one of our calls and we want to hear from you 334-321-1390 Spectre said it best. I don't know where we go from here. And that's fine. We don't. And that's okay. But here's the reality, Auburn fans. There are a lot of folks out there that need a reality check. If you're expecting a coaching change after this year, you're going to have to get real. And honestly, I don't think you should have a coaching change after next year. Because what coach is going to want to come to Auburn University if their job security only extends to two seasons, not even because there are people that want them gone after this year. So what coach is going to want to do that 
when the reality is you went into the coaching market last year and you whiffed on a lot of guys now there might might have been some misinformation that was circulating and I think there was misinformation about last year's coaching surge Mm -hmm. which was nothing short of upsetting for a large portion of it with the things that people would read about if you had as much of uh, of turbulence as you had in last year's coaching market when everyone was available this year's coaching market just stabilized the coaching market i think for at least a season because a lot of guys moved at a lot of big locations and a lot of up-and-comers just moved to their next to their step-up job right Right. so those guys aren't moving after this year so who are you going to get because there's only a couple of guys out there that are still looking for that step up matt campbell Mike Stoops at Kentucky, Hugh Freeze at Liberty. Guess what? All those guys are signing extensions, and they're not leaving the place that's going to build a statue for them just because they go 7-5 and five every year mm-hmm. to go to a place that's going to fire you after two years. You know this. You do Locked On Kentucky. Mike Stoops wins seven games at Kentucky. Wins seven. He gets an extra year onto his extension. Why would you leave? Why would you leave? And he's going to easily be able to do seven wins in that awful division in college football missouri lost to army florida lost to ucf guys the two bowl eligible teams in the bottom of that division were not good and i'll be real i think we're finding out in bowl season the sec was not good this year it wasn't that good it's the reality of it and i think that you look at you know the the future down the line right if auburn does let go of brian harson what are you dealing with? First off, you're dealing with the remnants of the remnants. You're dealing with Brian Harson's remnants and the Gus Malzahn remnants because there are still his kids on roster, right? You are then trying to ask a new coach if you can find one. You are then asking him to go up against Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban, Brian Kelly. Without right? his own guys. Sam Pittman, who, just, who might get to nine wins at Arkansas this season, right? Mike Leach at Mississippi State, who just beat you right? This is a very difficult situation that Auburn's in right now. And if you fire a coach now, next season, three years down the line, you're going to have serious problems on your hands. Not only that, oh, by the way, Texas and Oklahoma are coming to your your conference. And get real, look around the league. You just named two coaches that in their first year only won three games in 2020. And what'd they do this year? They, um, they one of them beat Auburn. One of them beat Auburn. And uh, one of them uh, is about to have nine wins potentially. And and I don't think Arkansas beats Penn State, but still, that I mean that, that that's an eight and five season, a five win jump for Arkansas this year. We weren't expecting that. We said six wins at best for Arkansas if they could even make it to a bowl game. And I said Mississippi State wasn't even going bowling. I was wrong. I mean, I, I know State lost last night in destructive fashion. They're, they're seven and six, but still, you can see what if Mississippi State and Arkansas said, "Look, guys, y'all only won three games. Bye." Mm-hmm. We're going to go get somebody else. They'd be right back where they were last year. Right. And Auburn has a higher starting point for a new head coach. You can see his first year, he went six games. Now, that's not much better than only winning three last year out at Arkansas or Mississippi State. But the reality is, to move on from a guy like Brian Harson already, just because you think things might be headed in a disastrous direction, that's, I, I, you just don't have enough information yet. You don't even know what next year is going to look like from a roster standpoint. I think it's irresponsible. I think it's irrational. I think it's definitely impatient. You can't do that. You can't. And, but I also understand, and, I, and that's why I opened this segment saying this, it is okay if you believe that things are headed for a disastrous direction. If you're uncertain, if you're uncomfortable with the way things look right now, Auburn just lost five games and finished with their first losing season for 2012. That's not good. I'm not sugarcoating that. That's bad. It is bad. 
Right. It's very bad. Like uh, th- this was not good. And I and I'm going to tell you, I can't predict the future. It, it does not look good moving forward for Auburn football. It doesn't. They did a pretty good job of recruiting right now, but there's still massive holes on offense. Right. And if you don't answer those, this team's not going to be very good next year either. And then you've got two years in the hole, and I don't know how you're going to continue to be able to sell recruits on your vision if you can't win so i understand that like it's fine you can criticize that but here's the reality you have to take your medicine you have to this is the pill that you have to swallow now because you said and i was one of them there are many people out there that wanted to move on from gus malzahn last year and were perfectly okay with going on and and, and looking for a coach you did that you wanted this and now that you've got it you can't say, oh, no, 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 this isn't working. You, can't kill the ex- you cannot kill the experiment after one year. You have not given it enough time to play out. Because the reality is, as we have just said for the last 10 minutes, you are not going to convince a coach in college football to come to Auburn University if you fire a guy after one year. That's not right. That, that, is, that is taking a coach's legs out from under him. You didn't give that coach resources if you were okay with firing him after one season if you got that disgruntled midway through a losing streak at the end of the year when your quarterback got hurt your starting quarterback got hurt if you're willing to fire a coach like that you weren't behind him from the start so don't, so don't give me that you are you, you would have to sit in this well 100 if auburn fired brian harson after this season and it would have to be disastrous for me to say that they needed to fire him next year it would have to be two and ten, three and nine, four and eight kind of thing for me to think that Auburn needed to move on next year. If you are willing to fire him for that, then you deserve exactly what could happen to you in the future. And you want to know what could happen to you in the future? Look a state north of you. You can become Tennessee. Look a couple of states north of you in the NFL. You can become the Cleveland Browns. You can become the Detroit Lions. It can happen. I've seen it. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. When you fire a coach every two years, it doesn't go well. It doesn't. So you just got to take your medicine. It's the reality of it. You asked for this because you were cool with the risk of moving on from Gus Malzahn to hope and to and, and that you could get to a point where things were better than what he was giving you. Now you've got to see how it plays out because you can't fire him. This is who you've got. This is what you got to go with. It creates a lack of sta- stability within the program. It, t- it creates a lack of stability on the recruiting trail. And I think it creates a lack of stability within the fan base, right? Because Auburn That's fans, already there. I feel like it, over the past couple of seasons, have divided themselves into camps, right? And if you fire Harson after a season, season and a half, two years – you are going to create even more division within your fan base. And the whole point of this is to create a good product on the field, right, that generates revenue. And a lot of that stems from fan attention, right? Fans paying to go to the games, fans paying for merch, fans paying to do these things, getting TV contracts so that people actually watch your games and stuff like that. If you create division, you're going to start to lose people. You're going to start to lose interest. As people get older, they're going to say, I don't care about this anymore. There's too much conflict. There's too much drama, and it's not a good product. And again, like I mentioned earlier, in order for it to become a good product, you have to establish yourself in recruiting. You have to establish yourself in your own division. You have to be able to establish yourself in so many different areas over a consistent period of time and you can't do that if you if you're if the timeline is two years and if you don't perform on the level of Alabama and Georgia you're out. Man, it hasn't even been two years. It was ten games and people wanted to and people were like, ah, this isn't working out. It's been ten games. You didn't even give the guy a chance and you weren't behind him from the start if you were willing to move on after ten games. I just I, I, I also think that, you know, 
I don't. There, there's like you said, there's no definitive down the road. No, there's not. So I, I can't tell you with a smile on my face that everything's going to be okay because I can't. I mean, we very well could be headed towards the Doug Barfield right. years. We very. And I think I said this on a on a show a month or so ago. Like we could become the Vanderbilt of the conference. Like that's a reality. That's a possibility. I wouldn't go that far. I would say you could become Kentucky. Sure. Uh, but but there, there's that possibility, or we could become one of the better teams in the conference right especially after Nick Saban or retires. you could be what you were during Gus Malzahn it could it could net zero right exactly so we don't know what's going to happen down the road so we can't speak in definitives positively negatively or right there in the middle like you just said we can't predict what's happening down the future down the road but what we can do is say this season did not warrant firing him because there is so much time to develop this program that you can't do it after one year you can't cut the you can't pull the plug after one year now I'll say this to avoid a hot seat he does have to do better next year absolutely 100%. because the, the you but with the emergence of the transfer portal and and I still don't think that I think it would be irrational and impatient and I want people to remind me of this a year from now because uh, you know patience is something that everybody needs and that's just me being transparent but if things don't go great next year if Auburn's you know a seven win team again next year people still need to have patience because he's still trying to flesh out the roster and what he needs to be successful you got to get behind the guy I think and so the reality is next year with the emergence of the transfer portal you can readily acquire talent that is going to help you do what you want to do from an offensive and defensive schematic standpoint you can but it it still takes time to develop out the roster fully to have depth to be able to do what you want to do you know he went out and got some players in the transfer portal on defense that helped you know for the most part improve the defensive product this year from a statistical standpoint from where it was a year ago guys like tony fair all the different defensive backs that they brought in you look at all the guys that they've recruited right now i mean the defense is definitely that's not the problem the offense now that needs to happen and this year, they didn't bring a whole lot of guys through the portal on offense to help them out. I mean, they brought Demetrius Robertson in, and that didn't end up working out like you wanted it to. The reality is, though, your starting quarterback went down, and that altered things for you on offense. It did. It, it altered the complete trajectory of this offense. And you, you took the most powerful punch out of it. Bo was good. He was good. He wasn't great. And sometimes he had some bad performances. But Bo was good. And Bo was good enough to win you South Carolina, I think he was good enough to win you the Alabama game, and I think he was good enough to win you the bowl game yesterday. And then everybody's perspective is completely different. So it, it's, it's convenient that everybody wants to leave out the fact that your starting quarterback got hurt. It's convenient about that. It's convenient that people want to forget about how there are numerous examples of places that were patient with their coach that didn't make an irrational decision and then it worked out for them down the line. Notre Dame could have fired Brad Kelly after, they, after he went 4-8 and eight five years ago, six years ago. You know what happened? He had five, six straight 10-win seasons. You're talking about Kentucky here? Look, there was that one point in Mark Stoops' career, like in 2016, where he was like 20, 28, Lost seven straight one year. He was like down in the dumps. But they, but Kentucky said, we're going to hold on to you and we're going to wait and see if you can work it out. Look where he is now. Second in the He's SEC. extensions for winning eight games. He's got one of the best recruiting classes in the country. Literally fourth in the SEC behind Bama, Georgia, Texas A&M, right? just insane what is going on at Kentucky now you look at Alabama and Nick Saban right went seven and six he didn't play he didn't do well in his first season look at Alabama now so again like we can't say definitively that's what what's going to happen to Brian Harson. could end up being disastrous we can't also say that it's going to be the end of the world exactly at the same time 
Uh, also, something else I want to point out. Just talking about Auburn's bowl performance the other day, if they were healthy, I completely agree. I think they would have won that game. But also, something that Auburn fans have been upset about, and you mentioned this, talking about por- uh, transfer portal kids coming in on this defense and, and making it better, Derek Mason, right? A lot of people are, are there, there are differing opinions People on were Mason. ready to fire him after the Mississippi State game, and look at how he finished. There's another example of a guy that you wait on. Houston averaged, averaged over 38 points a game yeah. without – their All-American corner without their uh, what should have been an All-American linebacker at least last season and definitely uh, should have been in the running for some type of award this year. You 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 were out you were out those two guys. Who am I missing? Well, then Smoke Monday and Jalen Simpson got Smoke thrown Monday, out midway through Jerry, the game. Jalen Simpson, right? So you you lose those guys at different points during the game and during and during the season because of opt-outs and stuff like that. We still held them to 17 points. Right. This was a team that was going blow for blow for about three quarters with a playoff team. Okay, and we held them to 17 points. There's another example of why you should wait, I think. And again, we don't know definitively if if Derek Mason's going to help Auburn become one of the better defenses in the nation. But he has shown down this stretch here that he can put together competent performances and, you know, obviously you look at the Mississippi State game and obviously you look at these different moments throughout the season. But I think that Auburn has an opportunity looking at the positive side of things to do good things moving down the line. You can also look at it negatively. And like you said, I respect anybody that has that opinion, but I can't. We, we can't say again one way or another this is going to happen. And you can have an opinion on it and you, and you can, you know, have concerns. And I, I think that is true. You can have that, and I've said that several times throughout this segment. I'm not dogging anybody that believes this is going to head to disaster because it very well could, and then I could end up you know, being wrong that things don't work out down the line. I don't know if things are going to work out. I'm somewhere right. in the middle right now. I, I, I have no idea what's going to happen moving forward. But the reality is, guys, you can't make a move. You have to sit here with it. This is what you've got. And, and for all the reasons that we detailed, if you make a move – and you fire a coach after one or two seasons, you're then asking the next coach, what are you going to do? You're going to fire that guy after he doesn't succeed after one or two years? And we're just going to do this over and over again? Because the reality is coaches need time. They have to get guys in for their system. And if you keep scrapping it every year, you end up with nothing on the roster. You end up with just a, a collage of players from different schemes and different systems, and you can't make anything out of it. You can't. It, 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 it can, if you continue to shred, if you shred the piece of paper, sure, you might be able to, you know, with, with giant strips, you might be able to tape it back together easily the first time. Shred it again. Try and tape it back together that time. And then shred so it a third time. And then shred it a fourth time. And keep trying to put it together and look at how difficult it's going to be. It's going to be really difficult. You crinkle a piece of paper up one time. It's all, it's all messed up, right? And then you uncrinkle it. Say you crinkle it again. Increasingly, every time it gets it gets more and more messed up, if right? You, if you have a lump of clay, right, and you're trying to mold it, it gets harder over time. And the more that you try and mold it, the more difficult it is. And if that piece of clay hardens and you try and mold it, it's going to break. It's going gonna, it's gonna to shatter. The program could be in disarray if you continue to reset things over and over and over and over again. So I, I just – firing somebody right now is not the answer, I don't think. I don't think it is. And pointing fingers and all that, like I just don't think that that's the way to go. I'm with you there, and I think that, folks, only option, you have two options, because the reality is you're stuck in it right now. You have no choice in the fact that Brian Horson is going to be the head coach next season. Unless he leaves or something like that, unless he leaves on his own choice, Brian Horson is, I, I, I don't see any reason why he will not be the head coach at this point next year. So you have two options. You can either get behind the guy and root for him to succeed, 
or you can continue to be gloom and doom that there's going to be disaster down the line. And you, you have those two choices. That's it. And here's my thing. Like, anybody out there can have the opinion of things are going to go poorly, right? But me, as a fan, I can't just sit here and be negative about something that I'm passionate about, right? I can't just sit here and dog something that I've loved since childhood. I want to be optimistic about it. So while I can't say that things are going to be all perfect, right, down the line, we're going to win national championship after national championship, I'm going to look on the m- more optimistic side of things and I'm going to say our quarterback that we had yesterday is not going to be the guy moving forward in 2022 we have yet to finish our recruiting class that is now top 15 nationally right the jump from the top 40 after we thought this guy couldn't recruit we've got an interesting schedule to look forward to next year there's turnover in the SEC right there's opportunity for things to get better and I just think that that's the way I would lean. Of course, I can't say whether or not it's going to happen. But as a fan, I can't sit here and be negative and say it's the end of the world because it's something I care so much about, right? I can't just be negative towards it, right? I mean, I, I just, and there's plenty of examples in life where you, you just don't pull out. Stock market's a great example. Don't sell, man. Yep. Stay in. Eventually, I mean, you don't lose money until you finally sell. Yeah, if any of my guys that are uh, invested in AMC are listening out there, we we, we know that we, we hold down. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some friends that are really into to, uh, to stocks trading, and that's their thing. It's like, no, you do not sell. Never. Not once. AMC, forever. <laughs> Let's take a quick break here on All the Line. Back on On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. About 35 minutes left in the Wednesday edition of On the Line. We're going to head to the phone lines now. 334-321-1390 is the number to dial. Inspector's back on the line with us. Inspector, what's going on? Yeah, I just wanted to call back and wish you well in your next chapter of your life there, Lance. Spectre, I really, I really appreciate that, man. And you know, I've really, really enjoyed being on the show, and I've really enjoyed callers like you calling in and giving insight and your thoughts on the program. I really appreciate that, man. Yeah, back at you on uh, after the game. Really enjoyed having you on there with Dan. Oh yeah, that was fun. Let me tell you, that was really, really fun to get uh, get all the, the the differing opinions and the heat of the moment. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. Yeah. More sad moments than the happy moments after the game, right? For sure, yeah, definitely at the uh, at the end of the in, end of the season. But you know, I still really enjoyed it. Okay, well, wish you well, guy. War Eagle, man. War Eagle. That was Specter on the line with us. Really appreciate that phone call, Specter. And yeah, I'm definitely going to uh, to miss the show and to miss callers like Specter and like like he said for after the game. Really enjoy getting to interact with just a bunch of different Auburn fans. And that's what I'm saying. Like as I was saying before we went to the break, is like this is Auburn football is just something I care so much about. And the fact that we can kind of get together as a community and get to talk about it and get to discuss uh, something that we're all so passionate about. You know, it's just great to uh, to get guys like Specter on the phone to just get to talk some ball with them also and i want to add to that i always really love talking to the callers and whatnot even when they disagree with me and mm-hmm. um i love and i hope it stays this way and i or i hope it doesn't devolve you know because I, I do think there has been at times some toxicity that can get into sports and, and into the auburn fan base at times and any fan base in football just look at tennessee and, and, and other places and anywhere in athletics but um what makes sports so fun is like remember this is entertainment and um you know don't take it to a point where folks you know can 
you know, you lose sight of what's important in the, in the fact that we should be kind to people and respectful to people and that we should love one another, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, even when people di- you know, disagree, don't lose the ability to have a conversation with somebody. And I think that can be, I mean, we've seen it in politics. This isn't a political show, so I'm not going to go into that. But the reality is, I mean, we've seen it in all facets of life in the last decade or so. And um, it, it's a shame to have seen that happen. And, you know, I, I think if there are areas in, in sports if there are areas in the country that you want to see improve um you know start with having a conversation with people and a respectful one at that yeah absolutely absolutely completely agree with everything you just said so well let's talk sports man Birmingham Bowl final takeaways final takeaways you know this was uh, something that we were talking about on yesterday's show and I think actually Spectre said it is that Auburn didn't have the personnel to execute Uh, Spectre said that in a call earlier in the show I believe it's just Auburn did not have the guys on offense that could go out there and execute to the best of their ability you know honestly it's hard to expect a backup quarterback to play perfect right it's hard to expect him to not miss a couple of throws right I will say he had gotten the reps right he had gotten the practice and he should have been able to do a little bit better I think than what he did but Something that you pointed out, something that Christian pointed out, he didn't lose Auburn the game. So overall, I think it was a hard-fought performance, especially from Auburn's defense with how uh, they were lacking guys on that side of the ball. Really impressed with what I saw from from Auburn's defense for, for the majority of the game up until they lost Jalen Simpson. And then uh, things, things seemed to fall apart in a, a little bit in the secondary. But man, I think it was a tough, tough game for Auburn to go out there and win because of all the different things that were going against them. And, you know, they fought hard until the end. Where do we go from here? Uh, I think you definitely have to start looking into the transfer portal, and I think you definitely have to start looking at quarterbacks and offensive line. I agree with that. In recruiting, I mean, that was sold by Brian Horson at the end of his press conference or, or during his press conference yesterday is that, you know, he was asked, you know, what's next? And he said the message is um, it's about recruiting. And I, I, I don't think that there's any way, other way to, to put that. You, you got to go and get players. Absolutely. And, and you, you know, you look at the, the recruiting class right now, right? Top 15th nationally. Uh, they've definitely got a lot of different pieces, but they're going to have to, like I just said a minute ago, they got to get some offensive linemen. They got to get some because everything starts in the trenches. We've talked about that so much on this show. You got to be able to get those O-linemen. 30 minutes left in the Wednesday edition of On the Line. We'll be back in a moment. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. 30 minutes left in the show. It's been a good one so far. Yeah, absolutely. And again, if anybody's missed any of it, they can go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. A lot of spirited debates on today's episode. I really enjoy getting to uh, talk to some of the uh, the callers and getting to talk with you about just uh, letting out some frustrations after that Birmingham Bowl. And it wasn't necessarily about the Birmingham Bowl. It's just about the program. And uh, definitely, uh, definitely enjoy having conversations about Auburn football, man. But Auburn basketball... Big game tonight. Absolutely. Tigers taking on LSU to open up conference play. Auburn is a a four-and-a-half-point favorite at home in Auburn Arena. LSU, one of the five teams in Division I remaining that are unbeaten. LSU 12-0 right now. This is definitely going to be a tough test for Auburn. Uh, I don't think we've actually really broken down LSU, have we, at any point? 
No, because we've had a lot to talk about with football. Right, and, <laughs> I, I, and I just mean like at any point during the season. I mean, obviously yeah. we've done like power rankings and stuff, but we've not really like taken it a, di- a dive into like what they do. Well, they're more of the they're one of the more difficult teams I think to evaluate sure. because of the level of competition they've played. They've played some Power Five opponents. They've played some good mid major teams, but the reality is they haven't really played anybody that's like actually SEC caliber or anywhere near where Auburn's at. Yeah, they ain't played nobody, Paul. I mean, and we talked about this, I think, on Monday. They've played Belmont, Penn State, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, and Louisiana Tech. All five of those schools are their, probably their best games that they so, played, and none of them are eh. One good mid-major team, Belmont. Sure. Yep. One eh, mid-major team, Louisiana Tech. I mean, they're decent. They're, they're going to challenge in the Conference USA, and the two bad Power 5 teams. Yeah, Penn State is 5-5, five and five, and then Wake Forest is 11-1. Uh, and one. But they are 66 in the Ken Palm rankings, so that just tells you how weak their yeah. schedule has been. I mean, those are teams that don't typically they, – they either end up like Penn State, who's 5-5 five and five because they played a relatively difficult non-conference schedule, or they end up like Wake Forest because they didn't play anybody either. Wake, and so, Wake Forest strength of schedule is 328th. Yeah, Oof. That is awful. <laughs> and that will be exposed in ACC play. That is still a team that's, that's growing. So, Auburn's game tonight, I've said this throughout the week – you're going to find out. One of these teams are going to find out that their team was not as good as they thought it was. Now, does that mean that they're not good? No, but these two fan bases, their expectations for their basketball teams, they are high. Well, here's my here's the, the thing that I come to with LSU, right? Obviously, they play very sound defense. They're first in the nation, adjusted defensive efficiency. They've been able to find ways to win games in clutch situations, right? They've been able to do that consistently this season. But what they do not do well is shoot the basketball. They do not shoot the basketball well from two or from three. According to Kim Palm, their 32.2% from downtown is 218th nationally. So I think what my concern in this game is, is making sure that LSU does not shoot well in this basketball game. That it's not just like all of a sudden, oh, shots are going in for Well, John Rothstein has talked about this on Twitter in a couple of his tweets today about the game because he's all on this one. This is get your nitroglycerin pills ready, you know. (laughs) Um, you, You talk about... This team is, is very good defensively, LSU mm-hmm. is. That, that is what they hang their hat on this year is that they, they've been a good team in the front court. They've been able to defend their rim well. They play a good defensive brand of basketball. But can they score enough against teams like Auburn? And I've got questions for several teams like that. Like Tennessee is another team that I think fits into that category. They're a very good defensive team. Tennessee, Ole Miss, those are good defensive basketball teams. Tennessee is a great defensive team. But you saw Tennessee lose to a team like Texas Tech because they couldn't score only scored 52 points in that game and it went to overtime like good gracious you know LSU I think you look at them against Louisiana Tech they were losing that game for a large portion only scored 66 points it's great that you play good defense but you're going to have inconsistent results if you can't put an efficient brand of offense on the floor and that's why so many times when I've talked about tournament play I have a hard time riding teams like Michigan you know beyond the elite eight in in the ncaa tournament because at some point i think their offense is going they're not going to score enough points to win yeah yeah i I agree with that and i mean you look obviously auburn uh, offensively i think they've been pretty solid this season but i think you also have to have to have to ask on the flip side can they create enough offense to go out there and win this game because this isn't this is an sec opponent again this is a team that's undefeated right now so i definitely think it's going to be tough uh for 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 auburn this is not a slight at lsu saying that they 
can't shoot or that they don't they don't have a good strength of schedule. This is a talented basketball team, uh, and I think that the, some of their statistics do reflect that. But at home, you know, in the jungle, I just don't know if Auburn starts to gain some momentum, if LSU can keep up in this one. I'm not saying it's going to be a blowout. I'm not even saying Auburn wins by 10 points, 8 points, right? I'm just saying that Auburn, I think the fact that this game is at home, very beneficial for Auburn in this matchup. If it was in Baton Rouge, I might be singing a different tune. Yeah, exactly, especially given what Auburn does on the offensive end because LSU right now is first in the nation in steal percentage. If Auburn is able to build some momentum, get a couple of trips back-to-back where they're scoring, the crowd begins to become a factor in that, certainly. And it's no secret, Auburn likes to shoot the basketball and they like to get a lot of field goal attempts up. And part of that's because they're able to get offensive rebounds. But the other part of it, they like to shoot threes. They like to play a faster brand of basketball. And if I have one knock on this Auburn team right now, and don't tell me I'm wrong, I can name several games throughout this year where this has been a problem. Shot selection for Auburn sometimes turns into a lower field goal percentage than necessary to win games against teams like this. And so Auburn has to have more consistency on the offensive end because a lot of times those shots are falling but you can look at the st louis game those shots those shots did not fall until the last like two or three minutes you can look at the usf game auburn had trouble in that one because they couldn't buy a bucket you can look at several games this year where auburn just wasn't able to score with enough consistency that i don't think they did that enough in the yukon game obviously down the stretch they got hot auburn's defense is going to play but i think you can also ask of auburn and say all right, where's the field goal shooting at in this one? Are they going to take good shots? Are they going to make their shots? And at home, I feel confident in them doing that. If this was in Baton Rouge, just because we've seen Auburn play worse away from their own their own floor this year, USF, St. Louis are good examples of that. Battle for Atlantis was another one where I don't think you saw Auburn with, a, with an immaculate offensive performance until you saw them play against Syracuse, which was the final game of the event. I mean, you just break it down. I mean, Auburn hasn't been as good away from home on offense, and that's to be expected. It's definitely a good thing that they're playing at home in this one. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Is there an area outside of shot selection that you would like to see Auburn improve in this matchup? or really just throughout SEC play. I mean, shot selection is the main thing, and then attached off of that is field goal consistency. I don't know if there's too much. Auburn hasn't been exposed yet, and that's just the reality. The only thing that I think has been exposed that you can see playing as day is sometimes shot selection is is an issue, which contributes to a lower field goal percentage. I mean, we saw that in the St. Louis game, and and I've talked about that already in the segment just a minute ago, but I don't know of anything else yet because Auburn hasn't played somebody like LSU yet. LSU's the best team on Auburn's schedule to this point. I think they're better than UConn. And UConn's still a good basketball team, but we've seen them kind of trail off a little bit uh, towards the end of non-conference playing to where they're at. I mean, are they even still a top 25 team right now? I don't know if they are. Currently sitting at 10-3, and three and they've lost two of their last four. Yeah, so I, I, you know, this is definitely the best team that Albert's played to this point. And the teams that they have played, sure, Murray State's a good mid-major team, a great mid-major team, same as St. Louis. And then you can also make the argument, you know, Syracuse and Loyola Chicago are, are decent wins, but they don't go much further than that. They're decent wins, and they're clearly teams that aren't as talented as Auburn you're playing a team today that is at least in the same ballpark as you in terms of talent I think Auburn's more talented than LSU top to bottom I think Auburn's one of the most deep teams in all of college basketball if not the deepest team in the SEC so like when I when I look at it I think Auburn's still more talented than this team but they have yet to play a team that could truly expose Auburn in more areas than just the one that they've already been exposed in and that area is defense I want to know about this defense I want to know how good this defense really is they've been good about against about everybody that they've played other than UConn and UConn's the best team that they've played to this point until until this LSU game, I think. So is this defense as good as advertised? I want to know. And also, I think a question that has to be asked is how does Auburn guard uh, the uh, the two-point 
line, right? Because if LSU's not going to be shooting... Two-point line? Three, excuse, yeah, sure. We'll call it... Well, <laughs> the there's the three-point line, and then there's the two-point line, which is everything inside, <laughs> right? I'm smart. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I definitely think that Auburn's going to have to, to, to guard the rim well in this game, and obviously Walker Kessler's done a good job of that, but if Walker Kessler gets out of position, is there somebody else on this roster that can do that well, right? And I think you just have to... Really, also, how is the game called? Are 40 fouls called in this game? Right. I think you have to ask, how does Auburn guard the rim in this matchup? And and also, you know, I think that if this game does get into like a defensive affair, right, both ways, because Auburn statistically, I mean, they're pretty sound on defense. It's like it's not like they're they're bad. I mean, LSU first in adjusted efficiency, Auburn's twelfth. It's not like they're in, like too far behind uh, the LSU Tigers. So if this gets like a low scoring type of game, does Auburn have enough in the tank to to pull out a win, right? Especially if things are physical, if things are phys- uh, mentally exhausting. Can they sustain enough to where they can get a win and survive? And that, I just think that, like you said, this team's not been tested enough to where they can truly answer that question. Obviously, they've pull, pulled out some close wins, but they've not faced a team like LSU, like you also said. Let's do some SEC basketball power rankings. I know you don't have any prepared. Right. Uh, I got to you a little bit late, but I do have mine, and we can go through it a little bit. Um, at 14, I've got Georgia still at 14. I had them there. We didn't do one last week. Um, due to the holiday season and whatnot but i did create one off air and i've got georgia at 14 i think that's fair i'd probably yeah i'd put georgia at 14 not playing very good basketball i believe they started off what were they five and four and now they're five and seven and now they're five and seven just lost to east tennessee state lost to georgia mason as well they've lost a couple of bye games at home and and that's what's dropped in this point there was some momentum there heading into sec play you thought there was potential to generate some momentum after they beat memphis two or three weeks ago but they they finished inconsistent and and now i'm wondering if this team is is better than the seller with some of the teams around them playing a little bit better at this point and one of those teams is missouri who i've got at 13 i've dropped them a spot to 13 but i mean there's not a whole lot of difference here between 12 through 14 really i mean i mean 12 and 13 here on this list which is vanderbilt and missouri i think they have more in the way of consistent offensive scoring that georgia does at this point missouri beat utah a couple weeks ago that that that's a better win than yeah, I think you could say the the win that Georgia had against Memphis at that time, the Memphis team that they played versus the Memphis team that's playing right now is obviously a lot worse of a victory. And and Utah is actually a pretty decent Pac-12 foe. And Missouri beating that team was finally them getting a decent win under their belt in non-conference play. I'll say this about Missouri. I talked about them a lot on today's episode of uh, Locked On Kentucky. They are not – I'm, I'm going to be honest. You, you look at these teams' numbers. I mean, while they may be better better than Georgia, might even be better better than Vanderbilt, this team sucks. Like yeah, they're not good. There's no, no other way to put it. Offensively, six and six. they've been off and on at times this season. They're shooting 24% from three. That's three third worst nationally. They only average 11 assists per game, uh, which is absolutely abysmal. And, you know, when that offense turns off, I mean, they are, they're getting blown out. They scored 45 against Liberty, 55 against Wichita State, 58 against Florida State, uh, 65 against Kansas, and then 63 against Illinois. And, I mean, they, they got blown out in every single one of those contests. And so, It's clear that they cannot run with the top half of this league no and i definitely think that they're going to have their hands full tonight against a kentucky team that is healthy uh missouri without conzo martin tonight on the road uh, it's gonna it could, what's wrong but, with conzo uh, he's got covid mm-hmm. so it, i had to ask it could be it could be um it could be a rough night for missouri to open their uh, conference slate so i think 13th is fair at 12 and i don't want to spend too much time on some of these bottom feeders but at 12 i've got vanderbilt here's the reason why i've got them above missouri and georgia not only are they on a three-game winning streak and with an impressive win over byu they've got a good win against pittsburgh from earlier in the year scotty pippen jr 
He's he's the difference. Yep. They've got somebody that can single handedly beat a team in the in this league. By the way, BYU eleven and three. How did they lose to Vanderbilt? Look, the WCC. I mean, that hurt them. But John Rothstein's been on this a lot too. The WCC could have four teams in, and if not four, it's still impressive that they get three in. The WCC is typically at best a two bid league if they if St. Mary's is good. Now St. Mary's, BYU, and San Francisco are good. In addition to Gonzaga, who's going to make the dance with no problems. You got four teams who could make the NCAA tournament when it's all said and done. San Francisco may only finish with three losses. San Francisco is thirteen and one right now. They right? are, and those two extra losses will be to Gonzaga. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's um, definitely a good year for the league, and the fact that Vanderbilt was able to get a win over BYU—that's that's shocking to me. Yeah. And BYU and St. Mary's carry enough clout because of their basketball history to be able to get into the tournament as an at-large, whereas San Francisco has to put up an awkward, a pretty nasty record, you know what I mean, to make it into the NCAA tournament as an at-large. If they only lose three games, I think they're in. They may even be ranked under those circumstances. Mm -hmm. Moving to a number 11, Ole Miss. I have finally decided that Mississippi State is a better basketball team than Ole Miss. I think they have finally separated themselves Ole Miss had some momentum after wins over MTSU and Dayton. That got quenched when they lost to Sanford. Rip. And Sanford's good. Bucky Ball is winning at Sanford right now, but I cannot I cannot give you a whole lot of credit if you lose to to a team that, that is from the SOCON. Is that where they're at? Are they still in the Southern Conference? I don't know if they are, but it's not they're not in a power six conference no. i mean you just can't you can't take losses like that if you're going to be a decent sec team and there's just far too much inconsistency on the offensive end for Ole miss they've got a decent two-point field goal percentage but when they have to shoot the basketball they're 318th and three-point percentage and 203rd and free throw shooting these guys can't score away from the basket they play good defense hold opponents to like 61 points a game but they're mediocre shooting it's going to put them in the bottom four of the league this year yeah and you know Sanford 10 and 2 right now 235th in the Kim Palm rankings and then you look at Missouri or excuse me uh Ole Miss they're like you just said they're not shooting the basketball very well right now number 10 I've got South Carolina it's not that they've done anything wrong it's that other teams are just getting better than them I think South Carolina is a gritty tough team they're 9 and 3 right now they've got some okay wins in non-conference play but i think they're nothing more than a middle of the pack team that's going to steal some wins over some teams they're also going to drop a game to someone like vanderbilt or Ole miss because they too struggle on the offensive end of the floor this team may have already peaked like when they beat florida state a couple weeks ago that they may have already peaked like i i think they're only capable of so much and they're always going to give you your best their best game they're always going to play hard for frank martin but this team's just not that good and i think other teams are beginning to turn a corner headed into conference play and south carolina's already hit their mark yeah look like you said they're a gritty physical team and they're going to play hard for their coach but i just don't see them making any sort of serious run in sec play and you know south carolina has struggled in non-conference play in the past and then they've played well in sec play for whatever reason like you said i think that's a pretty fair assessment they might have already peaked and so what does that mean for them in sec play probably not very good things Number nine, I've got Mississippi State. I've had them jump up a couple of spots. It finally looks like those transfers that they brought in, we knew they were going to be talented. It was only a matter of time until they start playing well. They haven't beaten anybody over the last three games, but they're playing better as a team. And I think the talent is finally starting to rise up for this squad that is separating them from a South Carolina or an Ole Miss or a Vanderbilt or Missouri or Georgia. They've actually got offensive prowess. They've actually got some some points that they can score. And they play good defense, 61.4 points allowed per game. They've got players like Iverson Molinar, Garrison Brooks, Rocket Watts. They've got scores. 
Yeah, they're uh, in the top 30 nationally in adjusted efficiency on offense, according to Ken Palm. And you look up and down their stat sheet statistically, I mean, they're really shooting really well in a lot of different categories. 36% from three as a team offensively. Like it's a you team just that said. I do not want to play at the hump. Yeah, it, like you just said, this is a team that knows how to score the basketball. And then they're playing a little bit of defense as well. And that's what's plagued Auburn in the past whenever they played Mississippi State, right? Is having to run against that physical Mississippi State they defense. They typically have big guards, too. Yeah. I mean, the, the Mississippi State typically has some bigger teams. Last team here before we go to break. I've got Florida at eight, and I toyed with putting Mississippi State above Florida, but I'm still giving Florida the benefit of the doubt on the talent that I see on the roster and the fact that they beat some good teams earlier in the year back in November. They beat Cal, Florida State, Ohio State. Those are good wins. Unfortunately for them, they've been 3-3 three and three in the month of December. Tonight, they play Ole Miss, and that game will heavily influence, unless this game got canceled. I actually didn't see it on the schedule. It did get canceled. Unfortunately, it did, which would have would have been really telling for this team. Whose fault right? was it? Uh, I don't actually remember. Protocol? Protocol, I believe. And I think South Carolina was supposed to play a non-conference game tonight, and it was canceled as well. But outside of that, SEC games are a go. Well, whenever Florida finally plays, that's going to tell us, because this is a team that I, I've got in the middle of the pack, because I am I think they have potential to make the tournament. They're actually a bubble team right now, according to Joe Lenardi, but also could see them headed in the opposite direction and falling towards the bottom of the league if they you know play like they did against teams like texas southern and maryland well they're ne- not good teams their next game if they if they don't reschedule the Ole Miss game soon will be january 5th against alabama at home loss florida is actually projected to win that game according to kim palm which i don't understand but loss anyway. <laughs> i think alabama's gonna get some things right i don't know if they beat tennessee tonight but i would not be shocked if they did uh, that's just the that's this the type of ceiling that they have We'll wrap up these power rankings when we come back on the other side of this break. Wrapping up the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. About two minutes left in the show. It's been a really good show so far, and, you know, honestly, uh, I think this was a good show to send me off on, man. It was. I was about to say that. This is it. This is so it, I was man. like, man, you bring it in. This is it this is it man it's been a blast i uh you know it doesn't feel like i've done like 150 ish episodes you know it feels like just yesterday i was starting off in uh in may starting to talk some uh some sec ball and some projections for the year and different depth chart things and stuff like that and you know honestly i think i can say i've gotten better on air uh as as the as the months have gone on i wouldn't say that i'm by by any means like a colin coward or anything like that but i don't talk like i i was born yesterday so <laughs> uh which is how it felt like you go back and you listen to some of those early episodes it was just like um and uh yeah i don't know <laughs> like like i didn't know how to talk man well last question to you last take i want to get your last take here on on the line before we get out of here who's the best team of the sec in men's basketball right now right now i think it is auburn I think really? it's Auburn. You feel yeah. comfortable in saying that? I feel comfortable in saying that, and I think we're going to feel even more comfortable saying that after Auburn beats As LSU. you're wearing Kentucky memorabilia. Hey, listen, listen. They're a good team, all right. But you they're saw a really it. good team. You saw how they played against Notre Dame. You saw it. I saw it. I cried. Also it was saw great. they played against North Carolina, Western Kentucky. Yeah, and you know what? They're he- they're coming up against a Missouri team tonight that allows a very high percentage from three. And so I'm just like, yeah, R.I.P. Missouri. This is going to be, whew, This is going to be tough for for the uh, the Tigers tonight. So I definitely think that Kentucky's building some momentum. But if Auburn played them right now, I'd pick Auburn. Why is that? 
uh, I think that Auburn's got more dynamic playmakers. And, you know, you've got Oscar Sheebway, you've got Severe Wheeler, two of the best players at their Kellen respective Grady. positions. Kellen Grady, he's not used enough. I have complained so much about that on my podcast. But I think Auburn's got guys like Wendell Green, Jabari Smith, Walker Kessler. They've got more pieces that could go off at a given time than Kentucky. And Kentucky does have the uh, ability to just completely shut off from downtown. And we saw that against Notre Dame. We've seen it in another game so far this season. Lance? It's been fun, my man. It's been a blast, man. Lance Dahl, off you are now off the line. <laughs> I didn't want to hear it. We'll be back with you next year. Happy New Year, everybody. We'll see you. Peace. Peace.